Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you once again, Lord, and we thank you for this privilege, this honor to come and worship you and to just to fellowship together and to love each other and just to look into your word. And I pray now, Father, that as we do and we go through this part of our service, that you would open up your word to us and that, Father, our lives might be changed, that we might make decisions that will alter the course of our life, that, Father, will draw us closer to you. But I pray that your Holy Spirit would do its work in our hearts here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? I think it's a pretty safe bet to say that um, every one of us at some point in life has found ourselves in a situation where we've been hurt. And we have been called upon or expected to forgive somebody. Maybe we've been cheated Maybe we have been humiliated. Maybe we have been abused. Um, whatever the situation may be. It may be parents. It may be your spouse that has cheated you or done something to you. It may be a good friend that has abused you or a stranger that has physically injured you and hurt you in some way. Whatever the case may be. There are times in life where we find ourselves in situations where we have to forgive somebody. And it's not easy. You know, we all understand the general concept of forgiveness. We understand the basics of it. But I don't believe that uh, there's very many of us that have become proficient in it because it is so difficult to let it go. It's so difficult to forgive somebody when we've been hurt, so difficult to forgive somebody when we've been humiliated and belittled and abused. It's, it's difficult. And I'm not minimizing this in any way, and I don't think the Bible does either. As you'll see here today, I don't believe that it's um, a place or situation where we can say, but it doesn't matter. Because, yeah, it does matter. It does matter. And I believe that God thinks it matters too. But God calls upon us in those situations to exercise something that in reality is beyond our ability. And that's the beauty of it. Because it's, we're allowing God to do this. This is what the whole premise uh, that forgiveness is based on. You and I are allowing God to do this in us to forgive somebody. Today we're going to talk about one of the most important truths that you're ever going to see in Scripture. Now notice I just say it's one of them. It's not the most important, but it is one. And um, this is something we've preached on from time to time. I've used parts of it in other sermons uh, to tie it in, so some of this may be a little familiar to you. I believe this is one of those sermons that need to be preached about every year. Um, That one and the one on giving. Every year you ought to hear this, you know, um, because we have to be reminded about the things that are not pleasant or comfortable or easy for us to do. But today we're going to be talking about the power of forgiveness. We're going to be looking at this, these two things. We're going to talk about how to forgive and what happens when you do forgive. So that's where we're going with this. Um, I want you to listen. Uh, sometimes we have a tendency to be thinking about what we're going to be doing when we get home and, and that sort of thing. So I'm asking you to pay attention closely. Like I said, this is important. And this is something that, um, as you'll see as we go through this passage here in just a moment, just how important it really is. Let me begin. We're going to look at this passage. It's in Matthew chapter 18. It's in verses 21 through 35. I'm going to pick this apart for a few minutes, then we're going to talk about it. So let me jump in here and not uh, waste any more time. It says in uh, verse 21, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, 
I don't like that translation. I think the King James captures it better. Um, the King James says 70 times 7. It's just a hyperbole. It's Jesus saying, no, 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 it's not 7. It's infinite. You keep on doing it. There's no set number on this. Now, Peter thinks he's being pretty generous because the Pharisees taught that if somebody offends you or hurts you in, say, three at the most four times, you have every right then to retaliate. That was the teaching of the tradition of the Pharisees. So Peter thinks to himself, now, I want to know about this subject, so I'm going to be generous. I'm going to say, okay, Lord, if I give them seven opportunities, if somebody hurts me seven times and I forgive them on the eighth time, can I get them? That's basically what he's asking, you know, Lord, can I get them? Uh, And so Jesus responds to that and he says, well, no, Peter, you can't because here's what I'm, I'm commanding you to do. I want you to forgive them an infinite number of times. Now, keep this in mind as we go through this, okay? He's not talking to a public crowd here. If you go back in the context, you're going to find that he and the disciples are together. Just them, and that's all in this this, uh, uh, setting here. And it's in that setting that they had talked about some things, and Peter picks up on something that was said, and he brings this up. And here's where Jesus goes into some teaching on the subject of forgiveness. And here's what I want to share with you today. He talks about now a parable. He gives them a parable, which is basically a fictitious story. It's not a true story. Parables are basically just made-up situations in order to get the point across. So he's going to give them a situation now and explain it to them. And it causes them to think about what it is that they believe. And so let's... Look at this and let this challenge us as to what we believe too. It says in verse 23, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was unable to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. As this, uh, at this, the servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, here again, it's just a story. 10,000 bags of gold, that is more than a person could pay back in 10 lifetimes in that day and age. It was impossible to pay back. How he ever got that much debt in this story, it doesn't matter. He owed the master this much. The master is ready to put them all in prison and be done with it, which to me is, is kind of ironic. You put somebody in prison until they can pay it back. Does anybody see the problem with that, you know? Um, it's the same way in history, though. You go back in history and they had what they call debtor's prison. If they can't pay their debts, put them in prison until they can. It isn't going to get better in prison. But nonetheless, that's what they did. Maybe they were hoping in a relative or somebody would have pity on them. But anyway, this in this particular situation, the master, it says here in the text, he took pity on him. He saw him, he saw his condition, he saw that there was no way he could pay it back. He said, so he had pity on him. He canceled the debt. He said, you don't owe me anything, which is in itself phenomenal. And then he let him go. So totally free, absolutely free. Now the story picks up in the next verse. It says, but when that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins... 
He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. Almost verbatim what he had said to his master. Now, a hundred silver coins is not that much. Not in that day and age. It wasn't nearly as much as what the other gentleman had been forgiven of. So, But you see the contrast here. I've been forgiven a whole lot, yet when it comes to me forgiving somebody else, I hold their feet to the fire. And I don't care about their begging. I don't care about their impoverished situation. I'm going to demand that they pay me back. Now, here's what takes place. The next verse it says, But he refused. And this is the, the servant that was the person owed money to. He says, But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. They were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all your debt, all the debt of yours, because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now look at this, because he goes back to the master now. The master holds him accountable for what he's done. He says, you couldn't forgive like I forgave you, so I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. And he turns him over to be tortured, the Bible says. And then in verse 35, now watch this. Jesus is turning to the disciples now, and here's what he says. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Whoa. (laughs) What is that talking about? Uh, You begin to see now the seriousness of this and why it's so important. What does he mean by that? Well, I've heard people talk about this. I've even had people question me over the years of ministry, different churches I've been in. And they come to me and they'll say, Pastor, I'm going to hell. Why are you going to hell? I can't forgive my, my so-and-so, my, my best friend or whatever. They did this and that to me. And God says he's not going to forgive me. And if I don't forgive them, so I'm, go- I'm going to hell. What can I do? It would be easy to look at this and to think that that's what it's teaching. But it's not. God doesn't renege on his deal with you. The blood of Jesus Christ covers your sins. That doesn't change. But what I believe he's talking about, and again, it's a story to illustrate a point. The point is this. He's saying, look, if you're not going to be forgiving, then I'm not going to be forgiving of you. Salvation isn't the question here. He's talking about them and their walk with the Lord and what happens from this point on. Look at this verse, and I think this, at least in my mind, helps clear it up a little bit. In Mark chapter 11, this is another situation where Jesus is alone with his disciples. Again, this is important because he's not talking to unsaved people. He's not talking to a crowd here. In verses 25 and 26 of Mark 11, here's what he says. He says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. And here's the reason why. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. 
In other words, the challenge is this. You stand praying and you're asking God to forgive you of things you've done this day or this week or whatever. We all do this. We come to God, we confess our sins, and we're confessing and, and asking God to forgive us as a heavenly father to forgive us of these things. And he's saying, whoa, 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 now wait a minute. Because you're asking me to forgive your debt to me, but now my question to you is, are you forgiving their debt to you? Are you as forgiving as you're asking me to be? And the, the teaching very clearly is this, that God is basically saying, we'll wait and see what you do. We're going to wait and see what you do. Because if you will forgive your brother, then yes, I'll forgive you. Again, it's not salvation, but it has a lot to do with my Christian life. It has a lot to do with my walk, my spiritual condition. This is a command in Scripture that you and I forgive one another. We forgive people who have hurt us. This is not a suggestion. It's not a request. This is a command. It's not something left up for debate. It's not something where you and I can give our, 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 make our case. But God, you don't understand. See, you don't understand what my father did to me. You don't understand that my husband or my wife abandoned me. You don't understand what that person did to me when they hurt me physically. Yeah, yeah, God understands. God says, but that's not the point. I'm not saying that's not important. God is not saying that it doesn't hurt. I'm asking you. What are you going to do about it? Because I'm asking you to do the same thing for them that I've done for you. That you forgive. And see, this is where the, the difficulty comes in for us. Because it's human nature to seek revenge. It's human nature to be angry. It's human nature to be disappointed. It's human nature to get even. But see, we're not talking about human nature here. We're talking about as Christians living the way that God would have us to live. And this is on a whole different plane, on a whole different way of living. And yeah, this is going to take some effort on our part. It's going to take something that is beyond our ability and our control because we don't have it. We really don't. But as we go through this, hopefully I'll help you to think this through. Let me give you a definition. This is, you're going to find definitions all through. You look on the internet, you're going to find them. A definition of forgiveness. I'm going to talk to you about what it is and what it isn't for a few minutes. Here's a good definition. Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you because you hurt me. Giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Now, we're not saying you shouldn't feel that way. The Bible doesn't say that. That's human nature. But God is saying to you and me, you're going to have to give up that right. You're going to have to let that one go. You're going to have to forgive. Another way of looking at forgiveness is just to cancel out a debt. Cancel a debt. Somebody owes you something, they've hurt you, they owe you something. Just cancel it out. Here are some things that forgiveness is not. Okay, now listen carefully. Forgiveness does not mean to put yourself back into a harmful situation. It does not mean to put yourself back in that same situation again. That is not what forgiveness is. Um, years ago, Deb was telling me that she was in a Bible study in another church, and 
a lady had given a testimony about how her daddy had abused her growing up. And how that years later, when she became an adult, she and he got together and she forgave him for the abuse. And everything was fine. And she's telling this and she said, but I, in my understanding of forgiveness, thought that I had to then allow him into our lives. And part of what I did was I allowed him to babysit my daughter. And it happened again. She said, I'm not sure I understand what this forgiveness is all about and what God's asking me to do and what God expects of me. And forgiveness does not mean that you go back and make the same dumb mistake again. That's not forgiveness. You see, when you forgive somebody, you're letting go of the hatred, the, the emotion of wanting to get back. You're saying, I'm laying it down. I'm letting it go. That does not mean that I have to trust you again. See, trust has to be rebuilt again. Trust has to be restored. And that takes time and it takes some effort. So please don't equate forgiveness with just letting everything go back to normal. That's not what we're talking about. God is saying to you, don't seek revenge on that person. Don't hate that person. Don't want to get even with that person. You're just letting it go. But you don't make the same mistake again. Here's another thing that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not granted because the person deserves it. You need to understand this because I've had people tell me, but they don't deserve my forgiveness. Yeah, I know that. Nobody said they deserved your forgiveness. You're not forgiving them because they deserve it, because they've done something worthy of it. You're forgiving them because of an act of grace and mercy on your part. That's all it is. I, because I'm choosing to forgive you, will graciously let it go. I will be merciful to you. Nobody said you deserved it. Here's the, the, the problem we get into, see, with, with this whole issue. We think that because they don't deserve it, and they don't, that we need to punish them. And that we need to be cruel. And that we need to be mean. That we need to get even. We need to hold their feet to the fire. And God says, no, I don't want you living that way. I don't want you living that way. So guys, I'm telling you, forgiveness is as much for you as it is for them. That You need to let this go. So forgiveness has nothing to do with whether or not they deserve it or not. So you're understanding that you're granting something out of sheer grace and mercy. Here's the third thing real quick that forgiveness is not or what it doesn't mean. Forgiveness does not mean that you have to forget the hurt. You see, we read a passage in Scripture where it says that God has cast our sins into the sea as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. I got news for you. God didn't forget them. It simply means that he's not going to remember them against you again. He's not going to bring them up and hold you accountable again. All you've got to do is look back through the Old Testament, and God says to the Israelites time after time after time, what you're doing is the same thing your forefathers did, and they didn't learn, and neither are you. Now, does that sound like he forgot? No, he didn't forget. He remembered. He tells them over and over, you're just like them. You're just like them. God doesn't forget, and neither should you, because if you forget, then you're prone to make the same mistakes again. And so don't equate forgiveness with forgetting. Just because you remember the pain doesn't mean that you have not forgiven that person. 
It simply means that you've chosen not to retaliate. You've chosen not to get even. You've chosen to extend love as much as you can and to not hold it against them anymore. This is what we're talking about. Now, I want to share with you very quickly four steps to forgiveness, okay? These are the steps you take in order to get you there. If you have a trouble or are in a situation where you are struggling with forgiveness and you find it difficult to forgive somebody, then begin with this, okay? I'm not saying it's the end all, but I'm saying that if you begin with these, it'll take you to where you need to go, okay? Here's step number one. Admit that you've been hurt. You've got to admit that you're hurt. So many times when people hurt us, we stuff it down and we pretend like nothing happened. Oh, that didn't hurt me. You, you didn't get, you know, I'm fine. Don't you worry about it. Because we don't want to admit that, yeah, that did hurt. Hurt deeply. We stuff it down and we talk about how it didn't bother us. And all it does is fester for years eating away at us, and someday probably it'll explode in a rage somewhere at some point in time. The best thing you can do is to just admit it. Yeah, that hurt. You tell God and you tell the person if you need to, if you're able to. Say, yeah, you've hurt me deeply. I'm going to have to work on this. See, so often when pain is inflicted, no matter how severe the pain may be, forgiveness is going to have to come. Because that pain, that pain is going to leave a scar. And you need to face that and stop making excuses for it. Because in your heart, even though you've got the smiley face on and you're pretending that nothing has happened and it's okay, in the depth of your soul, there is bitterness. And you need to admit that. So before you can go any further, you've got to come to that point. And you've got to deal with that. Here's the second step, okay? That is that you surrender your right to get even. This is what we were talking about a moment ago. You are coming to the point where you, with an act of your will, you are surrendering your right. Now, guys, please listen, okay? So often, and and I talked about this earlier, so often when it comes to forgiveness, people will will, uh, bow up and they'll they'll get angry and they'll say, but you don't understand. I have the right to feel this way. I I know you do. If somebody did to me what they did to you, I would feel the same way. We have the right. But that's not the point. I've got to lay my right down. I've got to acknowledge, yeah, I I, I should get even. I, I, I have the right to feel this way. And they need to pay for what they've done. But God is saying to you and me, lay it down. Don't demand this. You, you can't forgive somebody and, and seek to get even with them at the same time. Guys, this is an act of the will. In other words, it is a decision that you have to make. Here's the problem we have when it comes to this issue. We'll say this. We'll say, but wait a minute. You, Pastor, you've got to understand something. I don't feel like forgiving them. I don't want to forgive them. You understand But here's what you need to understand, that God never asked you about your feelings. God never said to you to forgive that person if you don't hurt anymore or forgive that person if you want to. God said forgive that person. End of story. 
And God is responsible for changing my emotions. This is an important fact that we have to learn in Christianity. Emotions and feelings always follow obedience. That when you and I, of an act of our will, choose to be obedient to God in all areas of life, God has promised that the emotions change. You think about in Galatians when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These are all emotions that God generates within us when we act in obedience to Him. But see, we want to wait and say, okay, I want to feel differently and deal with this first, get my feelings straight, and then I'll forgive. God says, no, it doesn't work that way. Because in all honesty, you can't do this without me. That's what he's saying. You can't do it. Let me read you this story. You've all heard of Corey Tinboom, I believe, if, if those of us that are older will say. Um, this lady lived back during World War II. Her family used to, they lived in Holland, and when the Nazis invaded uh, Holland, she was uh, responsible for hiding Jews in her home, her family was. Well, the Nazis eventually found them, and they found out what they were doing, and they sent, uh, well, I don't know what they did to the rest of the family, but for Corey and her sister, uh, they sent them to a concentration camp until after the war. And our sister died in the concentration camp, and she lived through it. This is the account of something that took place. And here's what it says. It says, in mid-May of 1945, the Allies marched into Holland to the unspeakable joy of the Dutch people. Despite the distractions of her work, Corey was still restless, and she desperately missed her beloved sister, Betsy. But now she remembered Betsy's words that they must tell others what had happened to them and what they had learned. Thus began more than three decades of travel around the world as a tramp for the Lord, as Corey described herself. She told people her story of God's forgiveness of sins and of the need for people to forgive those who had harmed them. This is her story. That's what she preached and taught. Corey herself was put to the test a few years later while speaking in a Munich church. At the close of the service, a balding man in a gray overcoat stepped forward to greet her. Corey froze. She knew this man well. He had been one of the most vicious guards at Ravensbrook, one who had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. It came back with a rush. She wrote the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. And now here he is pushing his hand out for me to shake it and saying, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And she goes on to say, and I, who had spoken so glibly about forgiveness, I fumbled in my pocketbook rather than shaking his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember me, one prisoner among the thousands of women? But I remembered him. I remembered the leather crop swinging from his belt. 
I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out to shake. And he asked, will you forgive me? As I, and I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven. But I could not forgive him. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? The soldier stood there expectantly, waiting for Corey to shake his hand. She said, I wrestled with the most difficult thing I have ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. Standing there before this former SS soldier, Corey remembered that forgiveness is an act of the will. It's not an emotion. Jesus, help me, she prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. But you've got to supply the feeling. Corey thrust out her hand and took the the guard's hand. And as I did, she said, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into my to our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart, I forgive you. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power to do it. It was then that I realized that this was the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, when it comes to forgiveness, you've got to understand this is an act of your will. It's a choice you make admitting that you can't. That what you have in your heart is bitterness and hatred. But I surrender that, Lord. I'll surrender it. And you take a step of faith to reach out and to extend grace to somebody that has desperately caused you pain. And let God do the rest. And he always does. What are the steps to forgiveness? Number one, you admit that you've been hurt. Number two, you surrender the right to get even. Here's the third one. You need to see the person as God sees them. You have to see that person the way God sees them. Because you know something? That person is just like you. It's who you used to be at one time. A sinner in need of forgiveness... And every one of us has to remember what God has done for us. Let me read you this verse. It's in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Paul says this. He says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, 
forgive as the Lord forgave you. You see, this is the condition here, that I'm forgiving you not because you deserve it, but because God has forgiven me. Because God has forgiven me so much. How could I be less than a merciful servant? How could I be less than someone that reaches out and forgives other people? Listen to this, one more story. This is a true story now. Um, it's about a gentleman by the name of Chris, Car- Chris Carrier. It's a true story. It says this. It says, when Chris Carrier was 10 years old, he was abducted. He was stabbed and shot through the head and left for dead. Surprisingly, he survived. But the emotional and physical scars were very difficult to heal. Eventually, though, his commitment to Christ helped him to move on with his life and to get better. The perpetrator was never found. Over 20 years later, Chris received a phone call from a detective working at the police department. The detective said that an elderly man in a local nursing home had confessed to being his abductor. The man's name was David McAllister. Chris, accompanied by a friend, visited McAllister the following day. Here are his words. It was an awkward moment walking into his room. But as soon as I saw him, I was overwhelmed with compassion. The man I found was not an intimidating kidnapper, but a frail 77-year-old man who had been blind for the last six years. The man's body was ravaged by alcoholism and smoking. He weighed little more than 60 pounds. He either had no family, or if he did, they wanted nothing to do with him. A friend who had accompanied me wisely asked him a few simple questions that led him to admitting that he had indeed abducted me. He then asked the old man, Do you ever wish you could tell that young boy that you were sorry for what you did? He answered emphatically, Oh, I wish I could. That was when I introduced myself to him. Unable to see, the man clasped my hand and told me he was sorry for what he had done to me. As he did, I looked down at him, and it came over me like a wave. Why should anyone have to face death without family, without friends, and without hope? I could not, as a follower of Christ, do anything but offer him my forgiveness and my friendship. In the days that followed, Chris was able to share the love of Christ with David McAllister. How do you do something like that? How do you do something like that? You realize who you are, where you've come from, and you begin to see that person the way God sees them. And you're able to lay down your pain, lay down your hurt, and forgive. One last point on the steps to forgiveness, and it is this. Number four, you need to pray that good things would happen to the wrongdoer or the person that has hurt you. Pray that good things would happen to them. Guys, this is so important. Don't leave this one out, okay? It is nearly impossible to hate somebody 
and to pray for them at the same time. You can't hate somebody and pray that God would bless them. And what you're going to find is this, that when you, again, with an act of your will, a decision that you make, you start praying for people like this that have hurt you, God floods your heart with an emotion of forgiveness. You pray that God would bless them, that God would save them. And all of a sudden, God begins to flood you with emotions that you've never known before. And this sea is where you begin to heal. This is what you've got to understand. This is so important. When you get to this point, point number four, then forgiveness has taken place. But the question is, can you do that? Number one, you admit that you've been hurt. You surrender your right to get even. You see that person the way God sees them. And you pray for good things and God's blessings. That's when forgiveness takes place. What's the result? Very quickly, two things. Here it is. What happens to you? Well, first of all, your spiritual health improves. Your spiritual health improves. Just the whole idea of forgiveness. If this is what's blocking my relationship to the Lord, if this is what is preventing God from saying, we're not going any further till you handle this. If this is what's stopping my growth, then deal with it, and all of a sudden my spiritual life begins to change. So that's a, a given. But like we read in these two stories, there's power that is unleashed. There's power in forgiveness. When you forgive, there's power that is released in your life like nothing you've ever experienced. So you begin to change spiritually. Here's the second thing that happens, and that is that your physical health improves. You may not equate these two or put these two together, but a lot of the things that we struggle with physically and emotionally, mentally, is because of bitterness in our hearts. And we may not understand that, but it is true. You know, an interesting insight into this, in back in verse 34 of Matthew 18, where the, the, the guy, the uh, landowner that was owed so much, he, he tells them, he says, you take this unfaithful servant that wouldn't forgive, and you take him and you put him and lock him up and, and hand him over to the ones that are going to torture him. Who was the one that got tortured? The one that didn't forgive. In our lives, the people that are generally hurt the worst is us when we don't forgive. And we're tortured mentally, we're tortured emotionally, and sometimes even physically because we can't let it go. And you and I have got to understand this, that when I can't forgive somebody, it really doesn't affect them, but it does me. And it will eat you up. The guilt... The, the, the anger, the hostility, the hatred, all of that just works on you. Forgiveness doesn't make the other person right. Okay? When you forgive somebody, you're not saying that it's okay, you're right. Forgiveness doesn't make the other person right. It simply sets you free. It sets you free. You know, I look out at this crowd and I know some of your histories. I know the abuse that has taken place. I know the molestation. I know the pain. I know the suffering. 
I know what your parents have done to you. I know how your spouses have left you. I know how one thing after another has happened to you in life. I know the hurt. And I stand up here and I'm asking you to forgive that person. And I know how difficult that is. But I'm telling you from the Word of God that it is the benefit for you, not the other person. And that's the reason I'm asking it. Because this one act will have such a traumatic impact on your life. It really will. You've got to let this go. You've got to forgive. So then the question is this. Who is it in your life that's hurt you? Who is it that you have to forgive? Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're not ready yet. But I'm asking you to start moving in that direction. And if I were you, I'd begin to pray that God would help you to do it. It's an act of the will. Don't rely on your emotions. Forget the emotions. Just do what God has said. Let God change your heart. Let God go before you. Let God do what he has to do. But you start moving that way in obedience to God. It'll change your life like nothing else. But you've got to to do this. I want to close with this verse. For those of you that may have come in today, may be visiting with us or may not understand what salvation is, what forgiveness really is. Here's the verse. Let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Look at the verse, guys. Look at the verse. God the Father made his son, Jesus Christ, to be sin for you. That means he took all of your sin and he became that. In the eyes of God the Father, he became it. And it says that he had no sin. That's the reason why he could take yours. And he died on a cross. And he paid for it. And it's buried in the sea. As far as the east is from the west, it will never be brought up again. It is over. And it says here in this verse, so that we might, at least in him, when we put our faith in him, become the righteousness of God. You see, salvation is not about you cleaning up your act and becoming worthy. Salvation is about you coming to God and confessing, I'm guilty. And I need that Savior to take care of me. See, faith is you coming to God and saying, I'm trusting in the sacrifice. I'm trusting in what you did. And God, when you put your faith in Him, God gives you the righteousness required for salvation. Heaven is not going to be filled with people that are righteous in their own, by their own doing. Because you can't. But heaven will be full of righteous people who have been declared righteous. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He declares you good enough. You're righteous. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, then this is a great opportunity for you to do that. Right there where you sit, why don't you settle this issue and put your faith in Jesus Christ as the one who died on the cross for you, as the one who paid for your sins. And by faith you are saved, not by your works. But for the rest of us, let me say this. If there's somebody in your life that you're struggling with forgiving, Let it go, guys. Start moving toward God as an act of obedience to forgive that person. 
and let God work in your heart and change you. That's the request. That's the plea. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you this morning, Father, we're overwhelmed with the reality of your truth. Father, we are humbled by your truth, convicted by your truth. Lord, help us to forgive those that have hurt us. We praise you and we thank you for forgiving us of all of the things we've done to hurt you. But Father, we are so grateful for that. And now, Lord, I pray for each one of us to give us the strength to forgive those that have hurt us. You work through us, Father, and in us, and make it happen. In Jesus' name we pray.